as we think of what we read together in our confession and in 1 Corinthians 1, it's specifically verse 8, speaks of God who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The promise that God will sustain us. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, think of a cross-country race or cross-country running. People reach the end of the course by persevering. There are many who begin the race with the desire to finish it, but after running for a while, they, they decide to quit. There are no guarantees that a person will finish, and so when you actually do reach the finish of a, of a race, you, you can understand that it was your iron will and your perseverance, uh, pushing your body beyond the limits or to its limits, and that, that perseverance is what distinguished you from the people who didn't make it to the end, who, who didn't finish. And if with that, we have that picture in our mind, we, we need to ask if it's the same, same way with, with the race of faith. So in the 17th century, a group of people, we, we know them as the Arminians, they taught that the perseverance of true believers, that continuous, continued faithfulness, was a condition of the new covenant. Something that people had to be able to do in order to be decisively elected and justified. And so in their understanding, and you can read that in the rejection of the errors at the end of, of the chapter, although God provides the believer with sufficient strength to persevere, he gives you what you need to persevere, God only preserves people who do their duty and do not reject him in this life. And if we use the race analogy, they would argue that everyone has sufficient strength of will to remain faithful to God until the end, but unless they decide to endure by their own strength in this life, God cannot save them. So when these teachers saw people whom they believed or they thought had true faith, now turning away from God, they concluded that it must be possible for true believers to fall completely and definitively from grace and salvation so that they're lost forever. It would seem from experiences like this that just like in a cross-country race, there are no guarantees that those who faithfully serve God today will continue in their faith until the end. That's a, that's a scary thought. Thankfully, the things we believe about God and our salvation are not based on what we, we think we see happening around us in the lives of others, but the things we believe are based on what God himself has revealed in the scriptures, things that we can see in our own hearts. The promise of Scripture is that God will preserve all those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world, and he will preserve all the elect until eternal life. It's like we sang in Psalm 139, the God who discerns our thoughts from afar 
The God who is acquainted with all our ways, who, who knows the words that we will speak even before they are on our tongue. That God who hems us in behind and before that there is, from whom there's, there's no place that we can go to, to flee for his right hand holds us and leads us that God does preserve us. Psalm 139 is very clear and that preservation is not dependent on our ability to keep on holding on to God's hand but Psalm 139 explains it the other way or reveals it the other way. It's actually God who's holding on to our hand. And then 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 is important because it states God is faithful. So our confession about the perseverance of the saints, the confession of the God's preservation of believers is a confession of God's faithfulness. And I preach to you this gospel under the theme, the Lord preserves his church to be with him forever. We'll see that those saints may fall into serious sins. God will not permit his elect to be lost. If you have your Bibles open and you can be reminded, but you can look at Romans 7. In Romans 7, after Paul declared that he had been set free from slavery to sin through the work of Jesus Christ, he goes on to talk about his ongoing struggle with the desires of the sinful nature. I think you know the passage well, the, the things that I want to do I do not do, and that which I don't want to do is, is exactly what I do. And Paul's speaking of this even though he knows he's been set free from the dominion and slavery of sin. And so as we read this chapter, as we read other passages like that in Scripture, we're, we're confronted by what we, we declare in our confession, the regenerate are not free from the flesh and body of sin as long as we live in this body of death. We're free from the dominion of sin, but that doesn't mean there will not be any sins in our lives. When we, whom God has declared already to be holy saints in Jesus Christ, when we come together, we hear the Ten Commandments every Sunday, then we can, we're reminded of our daily sins of weakness, those sins that spring up in our lives, that, that cling to even the best works of our lives. Galatians 6, verse 1, a, a letter directed to God's church speaks about saints who are caught in transgressions. That language being caught in sin. A saint who's caught in a sin. It, it uses language that, that reminds us of the sins that we struggle with. Our, our attachment to earthly comforts or making the approval of others a, an idol that starts to that determine the decisions that we make in our lives. When we hear of the language of being caught in sins, it reminds us of our our ongoing struggle as even as Christians against addictions, addictions to the, the highs and the dopamine shots we get from the things that this world offers. And, and there's some of these are culturally acceptable, like you buy something, you spend a lot of money, you buy something nice and it makes you feel, it gives you that little dopamine shot, a little high. You, you can think of other things that people get addicted to, like adventure or or making profits, or food, or, or power, or sexually immoral, sexual immorality. And then there's also the addictions that are less culturally acceptable, such as drugs or, or violence. 
the scriptures say that even Christians will be caught up in these things, the daily struggle that we face. And, and when we stand back and we look at it, we see that what we're really struggling with is that inclination in our own hearts to put ourselves before God, to put me before God's kingdom, to be more concerned with, with my experience of life than serving God and serving our neighbor. And then we, we can see how that misdirected orientation of the heart to, to be focused on ourselves rather than God, it, it, it's the source of those daily sins of weakness, but, but it often carries us even beyond that. Bring us into deeper and, and more serious sins in which those lusts and that shame and that desire for approval and that, that anger and that selfishness that actually leads us to, to commit serious and atrocious sins. Just look at David and look at Peter. These men who, whose hearts were, were focused on themselves and their own reputation, first of all, for a period in their lives, it, it led to a complete Mis, misdirection, misorientation. And as David was looking at his life from the wrong angle, through the me lens instead of through the revelation lens, when he forgot about the compass of the, the Word of God and, and, and wasn't watching and praying, his selfishness was joined to his lust and his shame and his abuse of power and, and things went from bad to worse when he did not stop himself but he carried on with his adultery and his lies as a, as a public office bearer in, 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 the, in the country but also in the church and then even, even murder. The great King David. And then we think of the Apostle Peter. The one who Jesus said on you I'll build the, the church. He had his heart also focused first on his own well-being rather than the things of God. Jesus even said that to him. You're, you're thinking of the things of man and not the things of God. And then Peter's fear of being ridiculed because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. So his fear for his own reputation led him to deny Jesus Christ vehemently, even with oaths several times. And then later, the same Peter was st stood condemned before the Apostle Paul for acting hypocritically when he stopped eating with Gentiles because the Jewish circumcision party had come when, J when, James, uh, from, when they, they, they came from James. And so you see this concern about his own reputation led him to, to some very serious and atrocious sins. And so it's very clear that we must confess and declare it to be true that, that even saints can commit daily sins of weakness that often lead to very serious sins. And we confess that happens, that even saints might stop watching and, and praying. And when that happens, it has a huge impact on our spiritual well-being. And I think we can all, every one of us here, all ages, we can ident identify with that. The, the impact of the sins we commit, even the daily sins of weakness, how that affects our, our spiritual well-being. But first of all, there's obvious natural consequences of, of sins. 
God says, love God, love your neighbor. When we don't do that, we're harming uh, our neighbor and we're, we're showing disrespect for God. It, it won't work. There will, be, there will be big problems. There will be broken relationships. There will be broken trust. There will be civil punishment for, for crimes. There will be health consequences for ourselves, negative health consequences. And then God sometimes adds some consequences as discipline. You can think of what God said to David. He said, your wives will be exposed uh, to shame. And the, the child he had with Bathsheba out of wedlock also would die. And, and so there's those consequences. But, but even beyond that, all our sins, they, they, they bring us away, further away from God. Peter says that sin wages war against your soul. That's 1 Peter 2, verse 11. I think that's important when we're looking at temptations and we see these choices. Where sometimes we, we, we stop watching and praying and we, we choose something that actually wages war against our souls. Every broken relationship with God Every broken relationship with our neighbor is a consequence of that fall into sin and our sinful human nature. Daily sins of weakness, they will never bring us closer to God or our neighbor. Even those sins of omission where, we, where we're not faithfully pursuing the Lord. When we try to set Christ aside, when we try to be good enough on our own strength, that sin of, of rejecting the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And, and even though it, it looks like we're trying to do so many good Christian things, that sin of rejecting God's grace, that doesn't bring us closer to God, but it actually creates a distance. And then we're, we're vulnerable to the, the pull of, of extravagant living or, or, or lusts. All has such a negative impact on our spiritual health. And then when we commit serious and atrocious sins, it, we confess it, it the, the words of Article 5, it greatly offend God, incur the guilt of death, grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, severely wound our consciences, and sometimes for a while lose a sense of God's favor. When a teenager robs his dad who, who, who loved him deeply at gunpoint in, in public and then completely ignores that his offers for peace and then runs away disowning his parents who loved him all his, his life, that those teenagers, people who do that, are, they're not surprised that their consciences are wounded, that they lose a sense of their parents' favor. And again, as we read this, we, we see that this confession, this declaration of faith is written by, by Christians like us, pastors who, who walk in our steps, footsteps, because we know that emptiness, that shame, and sometimes that self-justifying feeling we get in our heart and mind when we lash out at someone who loves us so very much. Well, when we stay, as long as we're staying in that rebellion, as long as we're continuing to persist in, in living without 
humbling ourselves before God and seeking reconciliation with our neighbor, if, if we continue to, to refuse to, to hear his, his words of grace and in all that period of time when we, when we don't rejoice in his promise of, of worship and a relationship and sometimes even curse his name in bitterness, it, it can often feel and like that relationship with God is, is over. We can feel like we messed it up, that we can't repair it. That's losing a sense of God's favor. That means feeling like we have completely divorced ourselves from God, that we ruined everything with our repeated choices to serve idols instead of Him. What do we do when we're in that place, when we feel that distance, when we feel that we have messed up? When we get a taste of that sinful pride and that misery and that despair and even that hopelessness that is experienced by all those who do not know the Lord. What do we do? Well, we can explain our sins many times. We can, we can point to the fact that we never knew anything better. We can point to the fact that the people who brought us up only brought us up to know how to be selfish. We can point to maybe people struggling as we're struggling with addictions to work or pornography or other substances. We might say, well, we do that because we're trying to escape pain or, or trauma in our lives and, and we're unable to, to break through. Many of us have been deceived or manipulated or pressured by co-workers and peers to do things that we did not want to do, and then we sinned against God. And as we, we think of these explanations, we, we see that it doesn't take away from the fact that we still sinned against the most holy God. And, and we, we could still see that even though there's an explanation for those sins, they don't bring us closer to God. And that's when the good news comes in. When God looks to us, when we come to God, He doesn't judge us based on the past, but He is looking at our heart today. His call is always the same. It's every, new every day. Come to me, repent and believe, and you will be saved. And so it's how we respond to these sins that shows the work of God in our hearts. And that's the promise that God has given, the promise that God gives to everyone whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. He says, when you sin, you will repent. God will not permit his elect to be lost. Now when a person who once professed the Christian faith turns against God and stops praying and stops reading the Bible and stops going to the church and we see that, it looks like they've lost their salvation. It looks like they've fallen out of the grip of God's grace. And when someone is living apart from God, there's no way of seeing whether or not they are elect because we don't know the plans of God from eternity, nor can we see inside the hearts of other people. 
And that's why it's so frightening, so, so terrifying for Christians when they see beloved family members or friends who, who once were participating in, in the life of the church, now withdrawing from a faithful church of Christ. You can imagine to be a friend of David in, 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 his, in his time between his growing sins and his confession of sins. Where was David in, in God's plan before he repented? And so we might ask, does this departure from God, does it serve as evidence that they were hypocrites who never were a part of Christ's body and, and therefore will be condemned? Or is this just something temporary and God's Spirit remains with them? The fact that there are only two ways, Psalm 1, is also why Christians become very concerned when they see persistent sin in their, their own lives. And even more, when, when our sinful choices and our desires are, are acted upon and, and we are, like we confess, drawn away by the flesh, the world, and Satan, even into serious and atrocious sins. What are we to think when we see these things happening in our own lives? If you see that, when you see that struggle, the first thing you can think is, it's a very good thing if you're concerned by your sinfulness. You see, people who don't have the Holy Spirit waging war against their sinful nature in their hearts, they, they remain unconcerned. And ultimately, it's your hatred of sin that distinguishes the people that God has chosen for eternal life from those who are not chosen. The gospel message, what Scripture reveals, is that if you are chosen by God's grace before the foundation of the world, at some point in your life, you will convert to God. You will repent of your sins. You will profess your faith in word and deed. The elect will always come to the point where they are concerned about their relationship to God because they always desire in their gut to live in a relationship with God. They want to live with Him for all eternity. Those whom God has chosen will hear the calling voice of the Good Shepherd. They will follow Him. They will trust in God's grace to wash them clean. When the Holy Spirit is in your heart, you will always humbly confess your sins and repent from your sins, even as you're seeking to fight against them. God simply will not let his elect to be lost forever. He always renew his people to repentance. The Holy Spirit doesn't work change in your circumstances to make it easier for you to follow God. That's not the, the promise we read, but the Holy Spirit works in your heart so that you, you see the hand of God in all circumstances. And so as we study David and Peter's repentance, the work of God in their lives, we see that when God renews his elect to repentance, he opens their eyes to see the reality of their situation. Repentant people see that there is a God in heaven who loves them and has chosen them out of mere grace. 
And repentant people are filled with indignation and disgust and sorrow by their proud ungratefulness and their disregard for God's offer of abundant life with him. Repentant people, we read in in 2 Corinthians 7, they're not merely sorry for the harm that their sins have caused to themselves and to others, that worldly grief, but their grief leads them to repentance. So that as David did, they they openly confess that they have sinned against God. You can think of a a Sunday morning worship service as we we hear the the Lord in His holiness declaring the truth. The, the, The Lord is working in our hearts that confession of sins. Lord, we have sinned against You. Repentance, repentant people don't belittle the seriousness of our sins in carelessness. When we are repentant, we will stop blaming others for our sins or diminishing its evil by comparing with people who have done worse things than we have. Or even try belittle the evil by pointing to our good intentions, what we meant to do the right thing. Repentant people take responsibility for what we have done in transparency because we know that God is gracious to forgive people who deserve nothing but punishment. He sent his son knowing that we were sinners. And so like Peter, repentant people not only break down and weep because of their sins, but rather than continue in shame and distance from God, they also accept the gracious offer And they're restored to fellowship again. If you read John 21, you see how the Lord restored Peter and actually commanded him to to take care of the sheep. God preserves us by keeping us alert and aware of our weaknesses through his Holy Spirit. God keeps us in his care by teaching us to watch and pray that we might not fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You're praying those prayers. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's evidence of the fulfillment of the promise we read in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 8. God will sustain you to the end. 1 Peter 5, verses 10 to 11 That's the text we read whenever someone publicly professes their faith. What do we say? We we read the promise of God's preserving grace. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus assures that his sheep that he came to to die for, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In John 10, the Lord promises the sheep he came to, to save and who hear his voice, and he adds, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The promise of Scripture is that no one whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world, not even those who fall into serious sins, will ever be able to completely fall out of his gracious hand or lose their salvation. And that's a, the gospel message that comes to us as we weep over our sins and shame and we struggle against our sinful nature. It's the gospel of Lamentations 3. The Lord is merciful. And Psalm 51 that will sing, His Spirit does not leave a heart that He has once entered. God preserves the imperishable seed of regeneration in the hearts of His chosen ones so that it does not perish and is not cast out. The Lord doesn't take back His declaration that you are innocent as if the Lord Almighty might say one moment, you are justified, and then later admit, well, I guess I spoke too soon. I didn't realize you were going to fall away and sin. The God who justified us out of mere grace while we were still sinners is not a liar. And we can be sure that he preserves us in such a way that we will persevere. We will always turn back to him in repentance with a godly sorrow, always seeking and obtaining through faith the forgiveness in the blood of the mediator while always again experience the favor of God and adore his mercies. Well, the Bible is very clear, very encouraging to every one of us as we struggle with, with doubts and sins and the consequence of these sins. And he tells us that Christ's work cannot be thwarted, not even by our sinfulness. And so, brothers and sisters, as you continue your fight against your sinful nature, as you trip and fall and get lifted up again by God's grace, and as you humble yourself before God, as you eagerly look for that goal of perfection until at last delivered from the body of death, you reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. Praise God for His sustaining grace and His mercy in your lives. He is faithful. He holds you in His grip even when we stumble and fall. He replaces all our anxiety with assurance and peace like we'll see in the final articles of this confession. So together we, we declare that we want to adore His mercies and His faithfulness and joyfully keep in step with the Spirit who is leading us now today in faith and obedience until our Lord Jesus comes again. Amen.